With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Since we recorded our last episode, uh, an issue has presented itself, and uh, it was one that... Uh, Anna and I felt that uh, we needed to address. For those listeners who uh, are outside of Canada, it is possible um, you haven't heard, though uh, rightly so, it has made international news and I feel it needs to continue to do so. A mass grave containing the remains of 215 children were discovered on the grounds of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School a school that operated from 1890 until the late 1970s. If you aren't from Canada, you may not be aware that we have an extremely dark stain that continues to stain our nation in the Indian residential school system. It was a system that was put in place to take children from homes, from their families, and to institutionalize them in schools in an effort to quite frankly, eradicate and potentially um, use genocide to remove First Nations people from our country. It is a horrible stain. And for truth and reconciliation to truly work, this issue needs to come to the forefront. So please take a moment to learn more about this issue, whether you are a Canadian or not. It is an important topic that continues and must continue to be the forefront of our, our nation. And I personally can speak to the fact that my mind was blown away when I learned that residential schools were still in place until the 1990s when I myself was in school. Yeah. Um, I think, like you said, Chris, is a really important conversation. Um, Canucks were the first NHL team to acknowledge that and they called it, you know, what it is, a genocide. And I think the first part of that path of truth and reconciliation, the truth part is really important. So we need to keep talking and acknowledging that truth. And also we need to get 
the information there so that truth is acknowledged and then tread that path towards reconciliation because it's important work. Six point five percent was it? Is is that what the current odds are of the Stanley Cup? Well, and you if you look at the round by round progression, the Stanley Cup favorite is uh-huh. the Vancouver Canucks. Like what a time to be alive! I- Talking you through every goalie controversy, scoring slump, and draft lottery bust. This is the C4 Podcast on CanucksHockeyBlog.com. Here they are, the best starting lineup we could afford under the salary cap. Chris, Matt, Anna, and Adam. Welcome to another episode of the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast, brought to you by the Full Press Coverage Network and CanucksHockeyBlog.com. I am Chris at Lightforce, joined virtually as always by the better part of this show, Anna Forsyth at A4Syth03. How you doing there, Anna? Yeah, I'm doing good. Um, been watching some playoff hockey. It's kind of fun to watch non-North Division hockey occasionally. Um, well, okay. I, I we were talking before we we had hit record uh, before we 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 sat down to to record the show. A little bit actually came up, and instead of the anthems, our our patron only pre-show. Um, I have watched a little playoff hockey, but not a whole lot. And uh, I have to say, of the North Division hockey that I have seen. Habs are apparently a good team. I mean, are they good? We just don't know yet. <laughs> True. And, and Wisby, as we record, um, they have like swept the Winnipeg Jets, but I still maintain that we don't actually know if they're a good team yet. Well, they, they're going to face one of either the Vegas Golden Knights or the Colorado Avalanche, if I understand correctly. And uh, I'm fairly confident they lose to either one of those teams. Yep. Maybe but they then, steal a game, maximum two. Well, but but like, I say I say that, and Carey Price could do crazy things. He can, but you know, like Canucks tried that before <laughs> with Vegas, and Dem- Demko could only do so much. True, true. I mean, I, I think if the story is written by the hockey gods, and it is a well-known fact that the hockey gods hate the Vancouver Canucks, mm-hmm. Tyler Toffoli is going to be lifting the Stanley Cup <laughs> above his head. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to see pictures this summer of Dodger Toffoli eating kibble out the cup, aren't we? Yeah, that's totally what will happen. But uh, enough of that uh that uh, type of conversation. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the uh, fabulous guest we have lined up uh, for today's show. If you happen to be a subscriber uh, to the C4 Weekly, which I've retitled the bi-weekly newsletter, because again, it's the off season. We're going to record a main show every two weeks. Uh, you already know who it is, but uh, we've got Harmon Dial from The Athletic. Uh, he's a staff writer covering the Vancouver Canucks for The Athletic. He's going to be joining us uh, shortly to talk a little bit about uh, the season that was and some of his thoughts as the Vancouver Canucks go into the off season. Uh, so pretty excited uh, that we've got him uh, joining us today. Yeah. Um, we've said this before, but we love just having people that are smarter than us come on and explain things to us. So we invited Harmon and... He- He's going to come on and do that. Yeah. I mean, uh, in, in regards to me, the bar is very low at <laughs> inviting smarter guests. I mean, you at I least give them a run for that. their money. No, but, but uh, you know, boy genius is, or man genius, I guess he is now. Um, 
is and yeah different level he is very smart um but uh yeah you know what why not uh throw it over to uh to Harmon. <laughs> As we let off the show, I am pleased to share that we are now joined by our special guest, uh, Harmon Dial. Uh, Harmon, how are you doing? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Yeah, oh, pretty good. Bad. Slightly better. Now we don't have to watch the Canucks every couple of days. Ooh, that's a low blow. <laughs> Ooh. But it's the truth. Uh, but uh, we uh, are also probably doing a little bit better off because we ran into some some technical difficulties. So thankfully, we we're able to overcome them. Get you to to join us here the the longest running uh, Canucks podcast in the market. And I, I I do this with every sort of new friend of the show that we gain. I ask this very difficult question: Why has it taken it so long, or taking you so long to join us? It's taken me so long to join you guys because it took you so long to ask. I mean, that's a good response. I mean, I'd like to throw back, well, if you replied to my DM, but then we're talking about a matter of days. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. we could have reached out a long time ago, to be fair, because you've been on the scene a little while. You're an old vet now, really. Oh, geez. Already now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Harmon, Harmon Dial, grizzled vet of the uh, Canucks uh, scene or Canucks media scene. Uh, but uh, why don't you introduce yourself to uh, our listeners? It's possible there are some out there that don't know who you are. I don't know how that is possible, but I'm going to presume it's the case. So can you share with them uh, how, first of all, you got into, you know, working with the athletic and, and covering the Vancouver Canucks? Yeah. So uh, as you kind of alluded to, I uh, cover the Canucks as a full-time reporter for the athletic. Um, my kind of niche initially coming up through the industry was, um, analytics and being able to break down video and just overall being able to, whether it's evaluate individual players or the team's performance, uh, kind of looking at it and, and trying to cover the team more from a, um, I, I guess a deeper analysis perspective is, is what I always try and bring to the table. And, um, I had been blogging for, for some years before I initially pitched the athletic, I think now. Jeez, it, I think it's almost three years ago now um, to, to freelance and, and do a piece uh, for them. And they liked the piece that I did. So I had a year of uh, freelancing during the 2018-19 season. That would be Pedersen's rookie year. Uh, and then after that, uh, they were looking to add to their staff. Uh, and so they tapped me on the shoulder and asked if I could join as a full-time reporter. And since then, I've tried to... Uh, diversify my skill set, start doing deeper kind of features and in, in more interviews and things like that uh, as well. But yeah, I think my bread and butter has always kind of been um, analytics, video, um, and that's how I continue to try and uh, do my work again at The Athletic. Awesome. We've also, uh, I believe, seen you uh, on TV as an intermission uh, panel guest from time to time too. Yeah, I think the first time I did that was um, not, not this past year, but the year before that 1920. And then, yeah, I had, uh, was fortunate enough that Murph tapped me on the shoulder for, uh, for a few times this season. So, uh, I mean, anytime, uh, you get to go on the broadcast, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, definitely nervous, but, uh, hopefully I've, I've gotten better and, and better, uh, as, uh, as, as times go on. I remember the first time it was, uh, it's pretty nerve wracking, not knowing like what camera to look at, uh, and all that, but feeling more and more comfortable with it for sure. Well, it, you looked very comfortable to me. Um, I couldn't yeah, tell you if you were nervous. Pro. Yeah. 
Thank you. <laughs> Means a lot to hear that. Yeah, it must be quite frenetic with, you know, Murph just calling out one minute. You've got one minute to answer this, like, deeply analytical question. Yeah, and it's the, the toughest part was there are, I think, two or three cameras, right? There's the one main central one. Um, and then there's, like, one that's going to zoom in. And lo- and once you actually start talking, like, they'll they'll go to that camera view for the TV audience. So I remember the first time I was like, okay, like which camera do I look at? And Murph was like, okay, just look at me, which honestly is probably not the best advice because people were telling me after like, why didn't you look at the camera after the first <laughs> period? But then I figured out, I figured out like, okay, the, the rhythm of it, like looking at which, uh, at, at which camera and then Murph and Murph makes it, Murph makes it easy in terms of like before prep wise, you know, obviously we don't rehearse or like have lines or anything, but he'll just kind of say like, okay, I'll ask you this first. And then I'll go to, you know, sat after for that. So he makes it super easy to work with and um, Murph's just an all around beauty. So. Yeah. I mean, he's a total pro. I remember when I figured out that he was looking not at the guests, but like slightly in front of them so that the camera didn't see the back of his head all the time. And I was just like, that is so slick. That is so genius. I actually didn't even think, I actually didn't even realize that. Yeah, he's probably making it seem like he's looking at you, but he's like looking out ahead of you because, yeah, otherwise it would look weird. Here's Anna breaking on the fourth wall. Yeah, I study Murph. That's my speciality. But uh, no, with you uh, here, we figured uh, who better to ask uh, than Harmon? What happened to the Vancouver Canucks this season? Uh, You have one minute and I need a very detailed analytical answer. Yeah, so I think when you look at the pillar, the, some of the key pillars for the Canucks' success uh, in 1920, it was number one goaltending, number two special teams, specifically the power play. They had the best sort of, you look at the raw power play goal differential, like in terms of efficiency, they were only top five, but pure differential, goals for and against, they led the NHL uh, there. So you had goaltending the power play and then just a lethal top six that could make up for a bottom six that uh, wasn't uh, really able to hold their own particularly well. And so I think when you look at each of those pillars, I think for the first month or six weeks before Demko really got in a tear, the goaltending was um, average, I think, as opposed to what Markstrom did last year where he was Vesna caliber. Um, And then number two, and I think this is the most important one, was the power play, right? Um, it just never really got going. And especially when you look at the second unit, they chipped in with, with uh, 17 goals last year. I think um, this time, this year it was something like three or four. Uh, and in addition to that, first unit didn't produce as much. And that's important because the Canucks, despite them making the playoffs last year or in 1920, they were outscored at five on five, right? So this, this was a team that was just kind of treading water at even strength and then able to make up the difference with elite special teams. And so when you take away the elite special teams, that was a significant dent. And then on top of that, through the start of the season, you know, this roster is built so that it's over, you know, they're over-reliant on the top six. They're over-reliant on their best players. And we had Pedersen kind of stumble out of the gate through January, through the first 10 games or so. And when that kind of happened, I mean, you look at the the numbers of Lotta line in 1920, they were top five first line in the NHL. Um, and this year, there were more middle of the pack when I studied goal differential for the, for the top first lines in, in the National Hockey League. So 
I think ultimately it was a combination of, you know, many factors, but if you were to compare the formula from last year, it was, you know, the, the top guys weren't, um, you know, they weren't able to save, uh, save, uh, save a supporting cast that, you know, the, the contributions at the bottom end of the roster have more or less been um, constant in that they haven't really been able to chip in much. It's just the top six wasn't able to dig them out of that hole, both at five on five and on special teams. And so that's, you know, part of the reason why they, they struggled so significantly this season. Yeah, I'm curious as to whether, like, how many of those pillars are a this year problem and how many do you see, like, repeating themselves? Like, Canucks tend to get, like, really hot and then slow down. And obviously, they struggle to start the season. Um, power play, do you think that was, like, a personnel issue, a coaching issue? I'm wondering how we, like, whether we see these pillars, like, crumble again next year or you see it as like a COVID kind of injury type issue? Yeah, well, of course, for the second half of the season, COVID played. Um, we could tell the guys were just sapped. I think, you know, for sure that that component, they're going to be clear of that. Uh, and then as it pertains to the power play, the Canucks have the personnel. When you look at their top-end talent to really click, especially – um, now that you'll hopefully have Pedersen back healthy for a full season. So I think special teams, you can realistically count on it to bounce back. Um, I think overall the Canucks are better on a true talent level basis than they showed this past, this past year. And, um, and so, especially when you look at, for instance, the second power play unit, um, as guys get healthy, as you hopefully are able to supplement your depth, um, you may have pieces like uh, Nils, Ho- or, well, you already had Hoaglander on the second power play unit, but now you'll have Rathbone on the second power play unit, hopefully, if he, if he can break the team out of camp, which he should. Uh, you'll have, hopefully, Pod Colson on the second unit. So not only do I expect the first unit uh, to rebound and start producing a lot more, but I think the second unit is capable of chipping in um, with a little bit more consistent production as well. And then, so outside of just special teams, I think you're going to see Pedersen and Hughes bounce back um, and be better than they were um, this past year, especially Hughes with his defensive play. I think, you know, with a lot of young demon as they come up through the National Hockey League, especially those that are offensively calibrated, um, there are bumps uh, along the way. There are obstacles to overcome. It's, it, it isn't always uh, development-wise a linear path. And so, uh, I think compared to a sophomore year, Hughes, I'm sure, will have learned a lot. And I think as the as the team's overall environment improves, I think we'll see Hughes bounce back defensively and from a 5 on 5 play-driving perspective as well. And so uh, I think that's enough to where you look at the Pacific Division this uh, this coming year, if, if, if as you expect they go back to the regular uh, divisional alignments, I think that's going to be a sneaky sort of factor that works in the Canucks' favor as well, where you look at outside of Vegas, there are no locks to make the playoffs. I mean, you've got maybe Edmonton. um, And after that, you've got Calgary with the mess of the season they had. Um, I know a lot of people are saying, you know, you can't count the Kraken out yet, which I agree with, but I also don't think that they're going to be – as fortuitous as uh, Vegas was in terms of, you know, Dale Talon gifting two thirds of the top line and, Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, like Pittsburgh giving them a second round pick to take Mark Andre Fleury. Like, I don't think 
Um, they're going to be as fortunate as Vegas was, but I mean, you've got Seattle and then what you've got the, the California teams um, that, uh, that are all sort of stuck in rebuilding situations. And so I think the field uh, is wide open for a team like the Canucks where, I mean, it's, it's definitely not going to be easy. It's almost going to be like the 1920 season where for them to get into the playoffs, it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be scrappy. Um, but there is still a path there for them. I don't think they're as, um, as, as poor as they showed um, this past year. You know, thinking back to that earlier comment sort of about the pillars and we think about the 1920 season, not 1920. I, every time I hear that, I'm like, I'm old enough to possibly remember but the uh, 2019, 20 season, the, you had the strength in that, that, that you had with Markstrom, you had uh, Peter uh, Pedersen, you know, leading the way up front, you had offensive production. And while the Vancouver Canucks were sort of in the dogfight to make the playoffs prior to the pandemic, shutting the season down, we saw quite a bit to uh, come to, to light to in the bubble. Um, you had a healthy Vancouver Canucks roster and a team that was able to string together some wins, get some confidence and, come within a game of getting past uh, Vegas. But when we think about this season, there were weakened pillars. And despite that, the Vancouver Canucks weren't truly out of it in the North division. If we were to sort of take the suggestion of some that, well, if the Vancouver Canucks happened to be in a Pacific division, uh, they would have made the playoffs. Is there truth to that? Do you think for this past year, if we were to rewrite history, or is it just indicative of more of how the North division was somewhat, equally strong and weak. I mean, it was quite clear. You had teams at the top and then you had a mess of teams below. Yeah. I, I, I still think like when you look at the North division, that was probably the weakest as well. So I don't know how much, um, like if you replayed, uh, last season and, um, you know, the performance wise, all the teams were, sa- were, were the same, except you just kind of realigned them and, um, did it that way. I, I don't know if the outcome would have been much different because of um, the same kind of factors that ultimately went wrong. But um, it's, again, moving into next season, you're almost going to have to, it's, you're able to reset a lot of these, uh, a lot of these pillars. And especially with a a guy like Thatcher Demko, now that that he's really dialed himself in as uh, a steady starter you know, I, I think goaltending is going to be more stable. And so to me, the biggest thing is if the Canucks can just find a way to hold serve at, um, at five on five, that's always the biggest question to me because again, in 2019, 20, uh, they were a team that got outscored at five on five. And, and that's, and that's interesting to note because when I looked at, um, you know, previous instances of teams that were able to make the playoffs despite getting outscored at five and five, a lot of them showed um, the majority of them regressed the following year. So that's, that's not actually, despite the pillars having worked in 2019, 20, and despite me liking their potential odds going into next season, depending on what work they're able to accomplish in the off season, it's also important to remember that they need to be a lot better of a five and five team because uh, the pillars that work for them before your it's almost as if everything needs to go perfectly right. And sometimes that just, as, as we witnessed this past year, sometimes it just doesn't always play out that way. And so again, I like their, I like their potential playoff odds going into this season, but there's definitely a lot of work on Jim Benning's plate. I think to really build out 
um, particularly a sturdy third line figuring, figuring out the situation on the back end. So they're a team that can uh, at least tread water at five on five. They don't have to be one of the top 10 teams, uh, but they have to be at least competent and, and, and especially on the defensive end, learn to kind of shore things up there. The thing about the defense and uh, obviously offensive production, there are going to be tough decisions to be made going into this off season. And we heard in the, the postseason presser that uh, Jim has the support of ownership to, to make some of these tough decisions, but does the Vancouver Canucks salary cap even empower him to make a tough decision or not? I mean, or is it a matter of uh, we're going to be in a, a tough year or two until such time as, as cap flexibility provides the opportunity uh, and freedom to, to build you know, that, that winner that we want, as opposed to the, the perennial, uh, dog fighter. Yeah. And that's the dilemma the Canucks face this off season, isn't it? Because once the club re-signs Pedersen and Hughes, I think Thomas, uh, my colleague, Thomas Trent kind of modeled it out in an article pretty recently. Uh, they're, they're projected to have around $8 million in spending, um, spending capacity. And, and they have a number of key holes that they need to, shore up so there isn't a lot of flexibility to work with and even that scenario i believe he accounted for a jake mctannan buy that we kind of expect at this juncture so outside of that i'm not sure how much as you as as you kind of mentioned flexibility there is for the club to really be aggressive unless the team gets into uh considering for example a britain holpe buyout or they try and you know, look at the last year of, say, uh, Jay Beagle or Anton Roussel's contracts and try and uh, go to go to rebuilding teams and offer them sweeteners to take to, to take on those contracts. And that's where, again, you have that dilemma where whether it's a, a Hopi potential buyout or the idea of paying assets to give up one or to shed one of these contracts or whether it's the idea of even uh, moving the ninth overall pick for a player that can help now. The issue that I see is no matter how aggressive you really are, all you're going to be able to accomplish this offseason in all likelihood is improving this team to being playoff caliber. You're not going to turn this team into a contender overnight. And it's really 2022-23 where we've talked about this a lot. And Jim Benning himself mentioned it, right? Um, I believe it was a February or March presser where he said, we need two more years. Uh, to really build a formidable contender. And that's actually an accurate timeline. He's correct with that. But if that's the case, then the club's priorities need to be aligned that way. They need to be, if they look at two years from now and say, okay, that's when we can really be a contender, then you have to almost move backwards from that window, from that goal, and make your decisions accordingly. And what that means from a practical perspective is being diligent and not overspending in free agency. That means probably not trading your ninth overall pick for immediate help. Um, that means, you know, just being very careful about the commitments you make this offseason probably means more or less turning to the bargain bin and trying to make addition. You know, it's not about the trying to make splashy acquisitions. It's probably more so about trying to find undervalued um, kind of diamonds in the rough and try and build out your depth that way and taking advantage of maybe um, expansion draft opportunities, going to maybe a team like Carolina and trying to pick up Warren Fogle. 
and and just and just making these smaller level moves as opposed to this big home run trying to find the next JT Miller type move because it isn't the kind of year where I think you can really go all in um, beyond just making the playoffs and and that's again where you don't want to like I can understand why a GM in, in Benning's situation would want to be aggressive because he's got a tremendous uh, amount of pressure on him. Um, but at the same time, if you're prioritizing actually winning a Stanley Cup, you've got to be careful not to be so aggressive this offseason that you potentially compromise your ability to go all in in 2022-23, which is the year where you can actually uh, contend for a cup, I think, if you play your cards right. Very smart. Um, we're going to take ourselves a short break here. You're listening to Harmon Dial on the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast, brought to you by the Full Press Coverage Network and CanucksHockeyBlog.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Take hitting out of the game. You can't hit anymore, so don't do it. The unsportsmanlike conduct, I want to get an explanation on. No kidding. Because how do you get suspended for unsportsmanlike conduct? Plus interference. There's no interference there. He had the puck. Now, Madison never, ever did that before. Now, why did he do it in that... Because he was mad. Well, your early favorite for the Calder <laughs> Trophy, that's for sure. Elias Pettersson, you might even say your early favorite for the Hart Trophy. Just to get back to your question, Elias is going to play plenty. He and play. He's going to get a lot of power play time. And, yeah, I'm concerned about our offense. We lost 200-point players, and we've got to find a way to score. I think we can use uh, uh, what you had ended off uh, our last segment with as a good segue into this offseason. And uh, a topic that I'm, I'm curious about is the expansion draft. Obviously, uh, the Seattle Kraken will be uh, picking a player off of the Vancouver Canucks roster. Who do you think that might be? Yeah, there are, uh, there are of course, a few contenders. Um, I think when you, first of all, you kind of have to map out who the Canucks would protect. And I think um, there are six up front um, that um, that seem like uh, practical locks. I think that would be Pedersen, Miller, Besser, Horvat, Pearson, and then probably Tyler Mott. And then the seventh is where um, you start to – there are question marks. Whether, you know, is it going to be a guy like Matthew Highmore? Would it be Cole Lind, Zach McEwen? Um Jonah Gadjevich. And so I think that's actually one of those protection slots that the Canucks probably look to monetize because I don't think they're particularly like the kind of audition that Colin had at the end of the season. I don't think, I don't think they were impressed by his skating. Um, I think you could tell by the first couple steps that he's still got some work to do there. Uh, and then in addition to that, we heard Jim Benning 
pointedly emphasized on multiple occasions how they want to add speed to their bottom six. And that, that's, of course, qualities that both Lind and Gadjevich don't possess. So I don't know how high the Canucks are on those guys. I think if you're Seattle, it's one of those, one of those scenarios where I think, you know, once you move beyond the forward group and you look at the back end, it's even bleaker there in terms of options if you're the Kraken because he's in a Rathbunard sense, right? So the Canucks, mm-hmm. like they, may, they might protect Schmidt, they might protect Myers, and then you levy, and then you don't really have a lot to pick from. And then, you know, of course, goaltending-wise, Canucks are going to protect Demko. So I think they're probably, if I'm Seattle, I'm probably looking at, looking at a forward. And then, you know, maybe it's, again, depending on who the Canucks ultimately decide to pick with that or protect with that seventh slot, maybe it's a, maybe it's a Coland, maybe it's a Highmore, maybe it's a McEwen. Um, you're probably looking at one of those fringe prospects or close to replacement level kind of players that the Kraken would be targeting. And that's why ultimately this is such an opportunity for the Canucks because you can tell that they don't have, because of some of the key players that they don't have to have to protect. You mentioned Hughes and Rathbone on the back end, Hoaglander and Pod Colson, of course, on up front that, that, that they, that are exempt from process. Um, that's why they have the opportunity to look at those extra slots and try and poach players from, uh, from other teams. Yeah, I'm curious whether that you see any value in, um, and I guess any reality of Jim Benning and team being able to like wangle Meyer's contract off the books or Holtby's contract off the books and like huge contracts off the books, but also huge gaps in the team if they were able to shift one of those um, less desirable contracts, whether there were like, Canucks have the um, the kind of negotiating skills, and there are things in the market that could replace those players. Yeah, well, I, I think for starters, I don't see the Canucks having the appetite of trying to move Myers. Um, and even if they did, that's one of those contracts where, in a flat cap environment, I think you're looking at he has three years left at six million per. That's just a really, really tough contract to move. Uh, I mean, you look at. Um, Patrick Marlowe, I think, uh, I think a couple of seasons ago where Toronto gave Carolina first round pick and Marlowe only had one year left at six mil. So that would be, I think, very expensive to try and shed. Now, albeit the difference there is Marlowe is a player that uh, he wasn't really going to play for Carolina. And that was one of those uh, circumstances where Carolina was going to buy him out, whereas at least Myers could play minutes for a prospective team. But even then, um, Mark Stahl, I think, made just around, I want to say five and a half, I think 5.7 to be precise with one year left. And um, the Rangers had to give up, I think a second round pick, if I'm not mistaken for, for that, something along those lines where it was again, still it's, it's such a tough environment to move money is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and so Myers, I think, you know, even if they did want to move him, they'd have difficulties in the number two with Braden Holpe. I think that's um, that's one of the interesting ones where it's not just the cap hit that uh, that Holpe has it, uh, has at four point three, but it's the fact that his contract is backloaded and he's owed five point seven million dollars in hard cash, and that's going to make it tougher to move him on the trade market because um, 
again, we're, we're, we're living in a reality where a lot of these ownership groups have been losing money because of uh, the pandemic. And I don't know that any ownership group is going to be eager to take on 5.7 million in, in salary for a backup goaltender at this stage in Holby's career. We're talking about a player that for two consecutive seasons now, yes, Holby is a, a great veteran presence and maybe there's a chance he rebounds. He's got a tremendous pedigree and track record, but the last couple of seasons, he hasn't really been, uh, he's been, I think he was below 900 the year before coming to Vancouver and he was right around that mark this past season. So I still think that's a tough contract for Vancouver to move as well. And if the Canucks are looking to move him uh, or, or sort of figure out a way to create cap relief with his contract, I'd guess that um, a buyout would be a more realistic option. And that's again, where you enter that dilemma where, you know, buying Hopi out would clear a decent chunk of change but the penalty would also be $1.9 million for uh, the year after. Uh, and again, we talked about the year after, 2022-23, that being the year where you can really go all in. And so that's the question you have to ask yourself. Do you want to carve out extra cap space this offseason to try and field a uh, playoff competitive team at the expense of you're going to have less flexibility to take uh, a more ambitious swing the year after. And that's where ultimately for me anyway, I'd, I, I would hope that they do not buy out Holpe because I think that the club should be looking to prioritize two years from now and, and that window to really contend as being more important than simply making the playoffs this coming season. But um, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if uh, the organization views those potential tough decisions uh, through the same lens that, uh, that I do. Yeah. I just kind of want to build off that briefly. I'm wondering, is there a middle of the road option where you invest in these sort of short-term bargain basement contracts and make and push for the playoffs? Um, and yeah, do you think is the benefit of that keeping players happy, keeping ownership happy and kind of, is it worth the risk? of like pushing too hard and over-investing or um, do you think it's better to just kind of risk the players being unhappy and management being unhappy in order to invest for the future? Yeah. So I think for, for starters, I mean, if we're talking about, um, you know, the, the players, I think the biggest thing is, today's generation of um of athletes they they want to i think be in the loop and i think it's if you took a more conservative approach this offseason and you communicated a clear vision and explained and walked through the rationale of okay we're going to make additions this offseason we're not going to be super aggressive and say trade our ninth overall pick and the reason we're not going to do that is to preserve our ability to to help you guys contend for a cup the year after I think that message is digestible for a player. If you've clearly laid out that blueprint, if you've, if you're ready to walk them through and explain that, you know, look at all this money coming off the books and this is how we're going to do it. And you show that commitment to the highest ambition of, again, at the end of the day, that ambition is winning a cup and you're not telling them let's do it three years from now. You're, you're, you're telling them we're still going to make additions this off season. 
still going to help build a playoff contender for this season. Um, we're just going to ensure that we don't, um, you know, blow our budget and go overboard. And uh, so I think that would resonate. And I think there is a middle of the road option and that kind of middle of the road option isn't just to go sign these one million, one year, $1 million contracts. I mean, those are opportunities that, the, that I think the Canucks should explore. But for instance, we talked about expansion. I think that needs to be an avenue where the Canucks try and find an opportunity where, again, Carolina, I mentioned it um, earlier. If you map out their sort of expansion scenario, they're only going to be able to protect um, one of Jesper Fast or Warren Fogel. And if they ultimately protect Fast, who they just signed last offseason, then Fogel is there for, for the taking. And so that's one of those, one of those circumstances where uh, whether it's a guy like Fogel in Carolina or Mason Appleton in, in Winnipeg that we're just watching the postseason now, these are middle six forwards that are both 25 years old. Um, in, the case of Fo- in the case of Fogel, skates really well, four checks hard, would fit the identity of what this team's looking for, add secondary scoring ability, can slide up and down your lineup, solid two-way player, Appleton, sort of same sort of way. I think both, both those players would be kind of, you're looking for them to kind of fill the Tanner Pearson kind of roles. And that's what the Canucks need to build out a third line mm-hmm. uh, and continue bolstering their depth and supporting cast. And so that's, you know, those kinds of players, they're not only going to help you this coming season, but they're young enough that they can help you the year after for, for, for years after. And so they can be long-term fits. And so for that, for that reason, I think that's one of those situations where you could justify, say, giving up. Do you want to give up a second or third round pick? Um, and kind of build it a package that way for one of those players. Like that's where I think you can you can still be um, um, you can still be proactive. It's not just you're going to sit on your hands and do nothing. You can still explore opportunities like that. So if you did, let's say you acquired one of Fogel or Appleton, um, and then in addition to that, and then that's where you look at more of your bargain options. Um, that's where, of course, you're going to add Pod Colson to the mix, um, and you know, you, t- you take the approach that way. I still think that you're able to, again, because of how wide open the Pacific is going to be, because of how I'd expect um, the power play, because of how I'd expect Pedersen Hughes to bounce back. I still think the club can be competitive for the playoffs. Um, so I, d- I definitely think that middle of the road option exists. And I mean, just look at the Florida Panthers' past offseason, right? Like that's, or that, that to me is the, mo- the model example. And we don't often say this about Florida. Because they typically haven't been fairly well run, but Bill Zito had a really good offseason. You look at how they rebuilt the supporting cast of that team. Uh, they had they went out and they they got essentially four top nine forwards in the offseason. They got Anthony Duclair, they got Carter Verhage, they got uh, Alex Wenberg, and I guess Sam Bennett was a was a mid mid season acquisition. But so three. Three top nine forwards that they were able to add. Verhage was near a point per game. Duclair was scoring at a solid middle six, uh, solid top six clip. Wenberg, I think, scored like 17 goals. And all those players, they were kind of of the reclamation project kind of tier. Or sorry, the fourth guy that was was actually Patrick Hornfist. They actually got rid of that that terrible Mike Matheson contract and turned that into Patrick Hornfist, who had a great season for them, right? So you look at what the Panthers were able to get four top nine contributors right there. And what did they ultimately spend? I mean, Verhage was 
dirt cheap. Duclair was dirt cheap. Wenberg, I think, was in the two to three million range on on. I think it was a one year contract. Um, and then how did they get Hornquist? They traded out of that of uh, traded out of bad contract. Now is replicating that in terms of wow, you're going to expect now to get three top nine forwards and not really spend much. Is that realistic? No, but could you maybe get creative and whether it's through the trade market or whether it's through free agency, try and identify some of these undervalued options. I still think it's possible. So I think it's all, I, I think you just have to kind of rely on your pro scouting staff that way and, um, and kind of take it from there. So, I mean, for that reason, I, I do think definitely there is a middle ground there that, uh, that would be available to the connect for the connects to kind of explore there. Awesome. It's, it's great to hear all of this, this insight. And I, I really wish we had more time to, to keep you here. Uh, Armin, we'll have to get you back on another episode. Uh, to talk about uh, the Canucks moves in the offseason as well as to to preview uh, next season, probably closer uh, to August, September. But uh, for our guests, if they're looking to, to find you online, uh, where can they locate you? Yeah, they can find me at, of course, The Athletic, and then on Twitter um, at Harman Dial 2. That's uh, H-A-R-M-A-N-D-A-Y-A-L 2. So, yeah, you can find me there. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Harm, for for joining us. Uh, We'll be right back here. You're listening to the Seymour Canucks Hockey Podcast on CanucksHockeyBlog.com and the Full Press Coverage Network. Pulling back the curtain a little bit here, we alluded to there being technical issues um, before getting Harmon on. And what we had to do is we had to actually switch over to using Zoom to, to record. We actually use a, a platform called Squadcast to, to record the main show normally. But in using Zoom, we had ourselves a very strict time limit and uh, we truly did run out of time with them. It wasn't like I was trying <laughs> to chase Harmon away. We had more questions won- we wanted to explore. Yeah, you weren't doing like a very meta joke about Tyler Toffoli. We did no, run out of time. We did. We did run out of time. That's that is true. It it we'll get him back. And uh, you know, as to to when, um I'm hoping before the, the start of next season, uh once we've got obviously the expansion draft out of the way, the entry draft out of the way, uh free agent frenzy out of the way, and any offseason moves Jim makes out of the way. Uh, Harmon can come in and help us all digest that and prepare us for uh, what will be an interesting season sort of from our, our seats or our vantage point. Um, but, uh, you know, there's some bits and bobs we wanted to, to, to get into with this show simply because they, they, they are, are relevant is the fact that uh, the Seattle Kraken uh, are, are obviously a, a thing. Um, they are yeah. signing players. I mean, they have yet to go and, make deals. And that's something that I think, uh, you know, Harmon started to touch on. He didn't feel that the Kraken will be as good as the, the golden Knights happen to be. And yeah, you know, some of that has once. to do. <laughs> shame yeah. I mean, you. It, fool me twice. Shame but, you know, me. I wonder, you know, how many, you know, phone calls, uh, you know, Francis has, has received or made as to making trades. I mean, the team has technically been a team, uh, for, for a few weeks now. So yeah. they're, could be deals and and we haven't seen any of the sort of non-playoff teams uh, make any of those uh, one of which could be the Vancouver Canucks and that's something that that Harmon had gotten into but being at the Kraken RA thing we felt it would be important to learn more about the Seattle Kraken and as a result uh, you'll want to stay tuned to a number of our episodes this offseason 
because we've got a variety of guests lined up to really rev up a rivalry that uh, we hope there will uh, be between the Vancouver Canucks and the, and the Kraken. Plus, I, I can't speak for you, Anna, but I'm pretty sure certain uh, this might be an accurate statement. They might be our favorite team, not named the Vancouver Canucks. Hmm. I mean, we'll see. Because <laughs> we'll see. But like, whilst the border <laughs> isn't open, I feel like we can just talk some trash. Um, True. Get some information and they can't get us. So yeah. do you think like, so this is something that I've seen uh, white caps fans uh, use when they've gone down to Seattle or, or Portland, if they travel into any of the, uh, the Cascadia match, uh, derbies or derby matches, sorry. Uh, chance like we've got healthcare and stuff like that. You think, you think, I you mean, think that will, will make an appearance? Maybe I, I feel like we could add that to the last shot is repertoire for sure. Yeah. Well, we should point out as well, it doesn't look like there'll be a plethora of Vancouver Canucks fans simply showing up on mass, uh, to watch the Kraken because they're, uh, I think they're calling their season ticket holder list, the high tide or something like that. And from all appearances, they're like super popular and likely selling out. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a hot ticket for sure. So we In will fact, get down and watch them, but at some stage, but yeah. I'll be, uh, but like on mass, like a large, yeah, like no, it's Anna not going to be Chris like shouting from the nosebleeds. Isn't going to have the same effect. It's not going to be like an Anaheim game where it seems to be, or an LA game where like Canucks fans will literally just take over half, half the rank. So, yeah. I mean, it'll, this is going to sort of get to the reality is that the Kraken will probably have an easier opportunity to come up to Vancouver to watch a game. than us Canucks fans will have going down the highway to watch, uh, uh, them down there. So. Do you think they'll join in when we start a fire banning chant? <laughs> Probably not. If they were, and I, I mean, they're, they're intelligent fans. They'll be like, um, you know, it'll be like fire banning. And then the Kraken fans, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool response. That's nice. In fact, the please don't do that. They'll be also like the, those who are very pro banning joining in. So it'll just be madness. Yeah. I think that there might be some can we play you every week type chance. Yeah. Oh, but anywho, uh, with this show, I mean, it's been a while since we've uh, had a text message into the C4 text line. And for those that don't know, the number is 604-200-6201. That's 604-200-6201. Uh, we got one from a friend of the show, Hercules, and uh, we were giving him some guff on, on IOTA that he didn't sign his text message which is true. He didn't sign it at the end. He signed it at the start. So really it was just us being not observant. Yeah. I mean, horrible podcast host that we are. Uh, but he says, Hey, C4 duo, your fave ducks, Canucks fan, Hercules here, as you guys will likely be recording on the 18th anniversary of my favorite sports moment, June 7th, 2003. I figured it was a great time for you two to spill it on your favorite sports moments. Yes, Anna, football and cricket are sports and included. I think it's no secret that mine is Paul Korea's goal after the Stevens hit in game six on the date above. And Discord probably knows that the mention of Paul generally gets me hot and bothered like Good Branson does for Anna or avoiding books does to Chris. Cheers to you two, strike three uh, or slash three, sorry, if Harmon is still there. Now, Har Harmon, we had to let him go, but... Uh, 
Uh, I am sure he would uh, appreciate the, the cheers from you there, there Hercules. Um, I mean, sports moment. my favorite sports moment. I mean, one, can I just say accurate, like with Erica Branson feels that's mm. exactly how I feel. Um, I mean, for me, I'm going to say, I'm not going to limit to moments I was there for. So I will say slaying the dragon is up there for me as a Canucks fan. Yeah. I mean, I was, I'm sort of thinking through slaying the dragon is it, it would it would probably be there. I mean, a lot of our hockey related, like golden goal during the Olympics. Um, that was up there. But if I, I recall, and this is the memory, unfortunately is starting to fade, but, uh, when the Vancouver Canucks had sort of gone through one of their, their doldrums in the, in the two thousands, um, essentially, you know, post King years, uh, Brian Burke had taken over and the team had finally made the playoffs, but that season where they did make the playoffs, my dad had picked up a bunch of tickets cheap. We had like four seats. Um, they were connects were essentially giving like crazy ice pack deals. Wow. And we happened to have four tickets to a Vancouver Canucks game against the Los Angeles Kings end of season, which matchup wise made no sense until such time as the season went along. And this game, if the Vancouver Canucks were to win clinched a playoff spot and arguably when the team had not been in the playoffs for some time and suddenly had some, you know, power behind it with the West coast express. Uh, the barn was a hopping. I remember we got there early, like doors opened and within five minutes, upper bowl and lower bowl were full, which is unheard of at Vancouver Canucks games. That's yeah. how it was almost like playoff atmosphere. Right. And the lights were, you know, had barely come on and people were already cheering loudly and, um, you know, saying we want the cup because as Canucks fans, we don't even make the playoffs and we're still, demanding Stanley. Um, it was, but it was just the energy in the building. It was so unbelievably awesome. And I think I want to say it was like Harold Druken scored the goal late in the game to like win it. So, uh, yeah, like to clinch. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was electric. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, as far as other sports goes, England winning the world cup was so dramatic. Um, Cause it was such what? a big narrative. Well, that was a while ago. That was two years ago. Oh, um, we were talking cricket. Cricket, right yeah. Uh, I don't care about international football at all. And yeah, I don't really have a football moment because Arsenal have won a few FA Cup finals, um, mm -hmm. but they haven't won the league since 2004. And that was an incredible achievement. They went the whole season unbeaten, but I couldn't pinpoint an actual moment in that yeah. the whole season was just incredible. So yeah, I would say the cricket world cup and saying the dragons up there for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm just sort of reading the text message again. And he, uh, you know, Herc points out that I'm um, uh, avoiding books does to Chris. So it's not that I avoid it's, books. It's specifically the Harry Potter series. Let's correct. Let's I mean, give I'm, you your due. I'm currently reading a book called uh, press reset, which is about the video game industry. Um, I have a copy of the Anthropocene reviewed from uh, John Green that I'll be reading next, uh, a signed copy. It's just mm -hmm. like a basic, you know, like initial signature. Um, but uh, I just, that arrived last week, so I'll be reading it next. So I do read books. Yes. I mean, that's better than me. I'm currently reading Wisdom Cricket magazine. But I'm, mm. my next book is Friday Night Lights, which has been recommended by many people on Canucks Twitter. And that's... I mean, next one. Yeah. 
cool, cool, cool. But uh, Hercules, thanks for the text message. And again, uh, for those of you who want to uh, drop a text message, or you can actually call and leave a voicemail as well. If you leave a voicemail, we'll just play the voicemail directly on the show. That number again is 604-200-6201. 604-200-6201. Now, Hercules is also uh, one of our patrons. And uh, Anna, it appears we have a new member of the uh the c4 patron club and the name looks familiar can you tell our listeners who it happens to be yep so our newest patron is my mother susan forsyth so thanks mom um and just like any other patron you're getting a shout out so we appreciate you you keep the lights on I mean, you also so kept I, the lights on for me growing up, so <laughs> appreciate that too. Yeah, see, she was a patron of of the show before she was a yeah, patron exactly. of the show, and before the show was the show. Uh, but I remember I, when I saw the notification and her her name come in, I'm like messaging you. I'm like, oh my god, Anna, your mom. Let's give her a shout out. Like we're gonna do it next episode, and and you are like, no, we should follow the rules. There's yeah. no special treatment here. We follow the rules, you know. We're good Canadian podcasters, so. Yeah, but uh, but no, thank you, Susan. Thank you for for supporting the show. Um, obviously, it it means a lot to 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 both of us, me. Um, but I know it means a lot to Anna, uh, and and really all of our our patrons. Uh, I sent uh, all of you a note uh, through Patreon. Um, if you happen to not receive it, um, if you log in, you might have a notification there. Um, but essentially, I wanted to walk through you know what it's meant. We're coming up to. A pretty solid anniversary. I mean, we are the longest running Canucks podcast and I think it's pretty cool, Anna, that you and I are, are taking this sort of off season and this anniversary to really, you know, shake things up and, and take our show to the next level. So the reason that we can make that happen is, is, uh, all of you who, who support us on Patreon. Um, if you know, this is something that might be up your alley, um, check it out. Patreon.com slash C4 podcast. Uh, you know, the levels start from a buck and they head up. And when I talk about a buck, it's Canadian. So for those of you who are outside of this great, uh, great wide nation, um, it might be a little bit cheaper than that with the exchange factored in. Um, tease more guests already done that. We've got some more coming out. You'll learn who that happens to be. If you happen to be a subscriber of uh, the uh, C4 by weekly, um, that comes out uh, every second Friday. So you'll want to subscribe for that to do so, uh, just go to, uh, C4 podcast.com slash newsletter. Um, you'll be able to go and, and sign up there. And, uh, if you are interested in leaving a review of the show, which reviews are awesome, first of all, we'll read them verbatim. So you can say all sorts of crazy stuff and I will read it. Uh, but it helps others find our show and help surface it to, to, to those that might be interested. Uh, C4 podcast.com slash review. Uh, is uh, where you want to go to to learn how you can uh, go and uh, promote our show through a word of mouth. And I mean, uh, you could also go and tell your friends and family I mean, and help do them that subscribe too, and all that. You know, yeah. socially distance, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Well, yeah, things well, are sort of loosening now. So as long as you're following well, no, health guidelines. Local health guidelines. That's right. Uh, but uh, as we look to uh, wrap up this uh, show, uh, Anna, what uh, what fabulous words of wisdom do you have for everyone? Um, thanks to Harmon for joining us. I, you know what? I'm a bit more optimistic after listening to him. He laid out a solid plan. So now we just have to have him back on and see if Jim Benning and co followed his advice. 
Um, see, while you're optimistic, I agree. Harmon has a solid plan. He unfortunately, however, is not Jim Benning and maybe Harmon should be the Vancouver Canucks GM. I think he is bright enough. I think he is able to articulate his vision and can probably look beyond that day to day approach. Others, uh, tend to, to follow. But on behalf of Anna, a four six zero through myself, Chris at light force, you can find the C4 podcast online on Twitter at the C4 podcast, as well as C4 podcast.com, our new website. So please check it out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we're out.